Today's the um, 28th, and I chose verse 4 for our proverb of the day. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. Okay, good one. So today, um, we're going to go, we're going to circle around to some place we were. I'll tell you the story is that, um, as I adjust my mic cord here, um, is that uh, back before all of this COVID stuff going on, in fact, um, probably a year ago, the Lord was speaking to me in my prayer times and my quiet times about, you know, I spend time with the Lord. What am I going to preach, God? What, what do you, where do you want me? And it's kind of a terror-filled thing almost. And, <laughs> and months in advance, um, I sometimes hear from the Lord about something he'll want to do. And around the beginning of the year... He, I, I knew, had known for a long time, he said, let's get some foundations laid again. New, new seasons, new beginnings, people are open to new things and to circle back to where they should be. Um, uh, and I don't hear how much of that he's talking to me too. And, and uh, so let's lay some foundations. Let's get back to what the foundations are um, that are important. So we started that back in January or February. And um, we were whistling right along. And then all, the Lord, all of a sudden the Lord said, okay, that's enough for now. Um, and um, we were partway through the series. And the Lord started talking to us about thriving, about in spite of what's going on. So we, we went off that for a while, and we've been on different topics. And uh, I was very happy, happily headed where I was over the last couple of weeks. And my, this last week, I was just jamming, spending time with the Lord, preparing for the next message in that series. And um, I was deep into it. I'd spent quite a bit of time, we'd made a lot of progress. And I just kind of like in my listening to the king in my study... I've heard something along the lines of, well, are you enjoying yourself, Terry? Because, you know, that's really grand. That's going to be a good sermon someday. It's not for this weekend. <laughs> and um, he says, how about if we get back to foundations and um, get back to those things that we were on before? I think it's time. And so I did an about face and got to start over in my studies this week and spend a lot of extra time. So some point in the future, uh, there's a good sermon coming. Not like a lot of these clinkers, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, as the Lord said, no, not for now. So we're going to go back to foundations. And um, when we were in foundations before, let me remind you why, um, why we're there. And the, this was the, um, the, the text for the series, not for any given message. But we were in the Psalms, a Psalm by King David, Psalm 11, starting in verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. And they have fitted the arrow to the strings to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. Now, there's this picture, and this attack is no longer theoretical. It's, it's no longer predicted. The, the, the bow is now energized. The string is stretched back, and that kinetic energy is ready to unleash and um, its force. And the arrow, this, the specific strategies of attack, are now being fitted to the string, okay? And the target is already selected, you're getting the picture here. It's a picture. This is a picture of God's people, God's own people under attack. So then David asked the, the strategic question, verse 3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, the answer is that if we don't have the foundations, the answer is nothing. We're in trouble without foundations. David's point is that without the foundations, the enemy's attack is going to succeed. So let's uh, also quickly review where we were back, in the, back then because it was long enough ago. I need this reminder. So things, th these were the things that, that we believed that we were supposed to stand on, things out of God's word and um, that will protect us and they'll strengthen us. First one was we build on the rock, which is Jesus Christ, not on the sand um, of culture. Now, 
can I just do sidetrack for a second here and mention that you know with all of the, the the turmoil culturally in our country, especially right now, and people tearing down statues and people tearing down statues even if they don't support the cause with which they're tearing them down. So just some crazy things going on, and um, uh, and now I've heard about plans to tear down statues of Jesus. Now, it's not that I particularly embrace the need for statues of Jesus. Um, I, I think they're fine to remind us, um, but that's all I think about them. I don't, I don't think they should be idle to worship, but that's not my point. My point is that something that is seemingly so innocuous is now happening in our culture where if somebody had said, oh, we're going to tear down statues of Jesus um, because he's portrayed as a European white man, um, I don't care about the nationality. I think the Lord is, is Hebrew, right? <laughs> okay, whatever that is. But the point is that, that um, the fact that we would be having that discussion in our culture of tearing down statues of Jesus, that's really not a cultural event. That is a spiritual attack, okay? What's behind that was not birthed in the mind of a person. It was birthed someplace else and placed into the mind of a person. And that's going on today. The arrow is fitted to the string, and the string is pulled back. Do you get that picture? Okay, the next truth is, uh, next foundation we, was, was no other truth prevails over God's word. The final authority in our life is God's word, the Bible. The battleground that happens, the next one is our will. The application of God's word is supposed to be personal. That's a foundation. If, the truth in there is supposed to be applied in our lives, in my life, and in your life. And, 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 and I believe, and I think scripture would support the idea that that. People, mankind has always been on the search for something, a search for something that would quench their thirst, and especially if they could find something that would quench it forever. And we found an answer, and that it's not the question isn't about when and where, it's about who and how. We worship God in spirit and in truth. So those were the foundations, and if you want to follow up on those, they're available on the church webpage, and they're back there in our history. Uh, look along January or February or something like It's called Foundations, I think. Um, I hope I'm not causing some problem now for some staff member who's got to put some things together because I just said it. Um, <laughs> they're shaking. Oh, we're good to go, right? Okay, so it's there. Um, today, um, we're going to move into the next foundation, and um, I'm, we're going to be in a passage that I think is probably the most foundational scripture on the topic of prayer. And this is Jeremiah chapter 33, starting in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. He was in jail. Um, verse 2, thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. That is one of the greatest prayer promises in all of God's words. If it's not underlined in your Bible, get out your pen right now and underline it. Don't cross it off. Underline it and circle it and go back and read it a lot. Uh, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you've not known. That's, I, I, I want to get off on a sidetrack right now, but it's not only us talking to you, but it's him talking to us and we listen. There's a lot in that one verse. We want to hear from God. We want to hear from his word. And as we talk about these points in a message like this, I challenge you, you know, check the Bible and say, is what I'm telling you true, okay? Not because I'm going to try and trick you, but because I think it's important for you to be well-grounded in God's word so that you can verify what you're hearing. Anyway, number one, God is calling every person in this church and everyone who hears this and everyone who's read this scripture, he's calling you to prayer. 
He's calling you to prayer. God's calling you to break through prayer. He's calling you to take another step in prayer. He's calling you to go further and deeper than you've gone before in prayer. And this is an incredible invitation here that he's giving. And, but I want to give you some context about um, from where this, this verse comes. Okay, we're in the Old Testament, and this is the second of um, what are commonly called the five major prophets, not because they're more important necessarily, but because they're, lar- they're bigger books. In fact, I think Jeremiah might be the longest book in the Bible. That's big. Um, but the, 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 the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, Two of those books were written by Jeremiah, both the book of Jeremiah and the book of Lamentations. And he was born about 650 B.C. And then, because now B.C. years are counting down, so he lived from 650 B.C. to about 570 B.C. And I should say, okay, B.C., um, if you've been in school anytime recently, they don't say that anymore. They don't say B.C. and A.D. Um, they say B.C.E., before current, current era, and current era, and I still say before Christ and Anno Domini, uh, Anno Domini Nostril Jesu Christu, the, the, the year of our Lord, okay, is what that means. And um, I, the reason is because the, I just refuse. <laughs> I just refuse to go along with what culture says because the intention of changing the labels from B.C. and A.D., they admit, is to remove the reference to Christ, the problem for them is that Christ is still the focal point of their measuring system. They still go to zero. Year zero is the moment of Christ's birth. Don't you just love that? <laughs> I do. I can be petulant about things like that. And it's good. Anyway, so Jeremiah is this weeping prophet. He's called by God to do what he did. And for 40 years, he spoke to the people, um, God's people, in, um, in behalf of God. And he had a lot of hardship. He had a lot of hardship. Um, he was whipped. He was put into stocks. He was, he was attacked by a mob. He was, uh, he was ridiculed. He was threatened by a king. He was beaten, arrested, jailed. He was, the, the people turned against him. His, 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 his family abandoned him. He was alone because the Lord said, I don't want you to get married and have kids. Um, I want you to stay on the job 100%. And um, so he was alone and lonely and and, and some very significant things were going on in his culture at the same time. The Chaldeans attacked and sacked the city. Now, that's not like where um, they cut off the power and allowed them to put up um, concrete traffic dividers in the street. <laughs> they sacked the city. They went in and tore everything down. And what was standing, they burned. It was razed, gone. And the people eventually were carried off. This was the real deal. I'm not suggesting anything about local protests that aren't real, but I'm saying they don't hold a patch to this. And he was in that time. Okay, so he's preaching to the people. Some very significant things are going on. And, and he's walking up and down the streets just immediately before and during this. And he's saying, hey, everybody, you know why this is going on, Right? You know why God's protection has withdrawn? He's, you know, it's not a very popular message. Um, and he's saying, you know, you know why all this? It's because of the children of the Lord, our wickedness. He's, he's saying our stubborn heartedness. And, um, and, and, and it's us. We're the ones who should know God. We know better. And, and he's saying, you know, and, and while he's saying these kinds of things, the king um, doesn't, hears this, he doesn't like this. And so he tosses him into prison. He's put in prison for his preaching, which is becoming um, more common around the world, and the rights for preaching God's word are even eroding in this country. 
in many ways. Anyway, he's called the weeping prophet. Now, listen to some of the phrases out of his book. I'll just read real fire through a quick handful of his, his verses in different chapters, and you'll figure out why he's called the weeping prophet. Um, 818, these are all from Jeremiah, 8.18. My joy is gone, grief is upon me, my heart is sick within me. Okay. 8.21, for the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm, which is a medication? In Gilead, he's referencing, is there no, no, no nothing to make me feel better in all of Holy Land? 9 verse 1, oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. One more. I think that's about all I can take. Uh, 13, 17, but if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. I mean, he's, he's the weeping prophet. And he was in a time where he saw God's people running after all kinds of false gods, and he wept and he pled. <laughs> I wonder, from God's viewpoint, how different is this really from the day that we live in? You know, into which the Lord injects this wonderful prayer, promise, and invitation. I mean, same kind of a time as today. And God says, call me, I'll answer your prayers. And, and if today is like Jeremiah's day, then desperate times call for desperate prayers. Deep needs call for deeper growth in prayer. It's a challenge to us, sons and daughters of the king. If you're facing something that's bigger and harder than you've ever faced before, this is your call to prayer. You know, to, to deeper prayer. It's time to get your, your prayer to be different, deeper, fuller, more faithful, a more faithful place in prayer, and then, and then see God meet you there. So I want to just take a minute and compare then to now. Um, so let's look at moral decline, um, 588 B.C. compared to A.D. 2020, okay? In Jeremiah's day, they had widespread idolatry. And this was one of the reasons why God's protection was, was being lifted and his judgment was falling. How would you assess idolatry, which is the worship of false gods today? I mean, you could do that. Okay, one, I think our, our primary idolatry probably um, for our country is stuff. It's, it's status. It's the American dream. Okay, so um, I, I think it's good to have ambition and goals, but um, when it turns to worship, that's idolatry and it's evil. God hates it. Um, another one is this. Maybe you won't know this, but more religions, more religions started in America in the last 200 years than in all of the rest of civilization in history. 200 in the United States and less. Okay, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Unitarianism, Christian science, Scientology, the, the list is lengthy. No regard for the voice of God, no regard for the truth of God. And I was digging in the mountains and I found some special glasses. I was walking on the beach and I had a special vision. You know, I think it's helpful to know where cults come from um, and how they started. Cults. Say, say, everybody say the word cults. Cults. Okay, even at home, you're at home and no one's going to hear you. Say it at home. Cults. 
cults. Okay, so <laughs> in the 1820s, there's a guy digging in the mountains of New York, and he finds these special glasses, and he finds these special gold plates, and no one can interpret them and read them but him, and so it's got to be done privately, and on and on and on the nonsense goes. It's widespread idolatry. People worshiping literally anything except the one true God, including the worship self. Okay, in our day, widespread adultery. Okay, the second thing that was present back then was rampant immorality. There are lots of examples in the book of Jeremiah. Um, chapter 6 lays out, and I just kind of, it paints the picture. Um, the, preceding this in Scripture, the Lord kind of lays out this scathing um, accusation <laughs> about the moral state of the nation. And then he adds this in chapter 6, verse 15. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Do you ever think about that when you watch something on TV? <laughs> He's like, um, you know, what's wrong with these people? You're watching this, you're thinking, they don't even know how to be embarrassed anymore. And um, they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time that I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. That's, that was in Jer Jeremiah's day, in our day. According to the CDC, I looked this up um, um, this week, 110 million, million Americans have a sexually transmitted disease. That's one in three in the United States of America. 20 million new cases present themselves every year. Half of those are for people between 15 and 24. After, at the end of the Second World War, um, 12% of young people said that premarital sex was okay. It was morally okay. Today, if you, um, samples uh, at colleges tell, tell us that 80, 80% of students say that premarital sex is, is either appropriate or necessary. In our day, rampant immorality. So the Chaldeans in this situation, they, they swept in and they sacked Jerusalem in 588 B.C., and then the very next year, the Babylonian captivity, which was where they kind of followed up, and they hauled away all the people, you know, Daniel and his friends. And the nation was in this massive decline of idolatry and this massive decline of immorality. And, um, and, 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 and in, the in the past, this same nation had previously been delivered by God from much bigger, more powerful, stronger nations. The Lord had just miraculously... And finally, God's covering... And his protection during, the, during this time, he, he lifted it during these generations. Now, I don't want to discourage you. <laughs> Sounds like, come on, Terry, are you gonna, how, how deep are you going to dig this hole? It's like, okay, I don't want to discourage you, but I want to get us to this reality because it's, it's facing reality that fills our hearts with the fervency to get on our knees sometimes. And feeling the weight of what's happening on our watch is um, puts us on our knees calling out to God, you know, God, can we have higher? Can we have better for our children, for our grandchildren, for the future generations that are coming, Lord? How awesome that God is saying to us, call to me, call me, come on, talk to me. And then the next thing that Jeremiah emphasizes over and over that's going sideways is the failure of God's spokesman and the people, both present then and today. Uh, Jeremiah 5, starting in verse 30. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. What, Jeremiah? Well, what is it? The prophets prophesy falsely. Okay, These are those who are called, who are appointed 
by God to speak for him, and they don't do it. They stand up with feel-good, felt-needs messages and you know, things that couldn't keep a hungry heart satisfied for more than an hour after church. And, and, and Jeremiah goes on, an, appealing, an appalling and, and horrible thing has happened in the land, and the priests rule at their discretion. You know, what I like, what seems good to me. I think I'll do this, what I think will help. Not based on God's word, not, not based on um, a secure foundation in, in any sense. It's, this is this, and here comes a sad conclusion. And my people love to have it so. Church is filled to overflowing with people with this nonsense. Why? The people love it. Then he asks of the people, but what will you do when the end comes? In other words, where is this taking us? What's the, what's the conclusion of this? Where is this going? Moral decline in Jeremiah's day and in ours, and he's warning them before it happens about this total societal collapse. I'm not here to tell you that I'm believing that we're ex- headed for a total societal collapse. I'm, I am seeing that signs that the Lord is coming back soon. <laughs> okay, that's good news. I'm good. That's good. But and, but it, but but within the next year, these you know, within the next 12 months, th- this destruction happens in Jerusalem, and. I think that the typical North American Christian really believes that we're, we're invulnerable to this kind of This will never happen. This kind of stuff, this is, this is biblical. That would never happen here. <laughs> but those possibilities ought to be driving us to prayer. Are we praying differently than we've prayed before? Are we moved at all? Verse 3, call to me and I will answer you. This word call is a Hebrew term, and it, and it, and it it's, it's, first off, it's, there's an, an, an emotional intensity that's suggested in the word. It's, it's, it's a summons. It's, it's an appeal. It's an urgent request, and God is emphatically asking, call to me, summon me, you know, entreat me, ask me. And there is too much silence from some of those people because we settle for so much less. We do. God tells us, call to me, you know, <laughs> our first call is usually to other people, to our spouse or to our boss or to our friends or to, you know, whatever. We pick up our phone and off we go making a call. And when he, but when he does tell us to call him, we've got to keep the context here. It has to be in the context of who he's revealing himself to be. So look at verse 2, and, and you'll catch this here, okay? Thus says the Lord, who made the earth? The Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I'll answer you. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. The Lord did it. The Lord made it. The the Lord is his name. We need to keep in mind who we're talking about here. This is God's covenant name. When you see this in your Bible and it's all uppercase L-O-R-D, it's his covenant name. It's used over 6,800 times. In, in the Old Testament, and um, in Hebrew, it's yod heh vav heh, or those, those are the letters. In, in, if you were to look at it in English, it would be Y-H-W-H, and the vowels were intentionally dropped by the scribes because they felt it was too holy to actually render his first name or his personal name, his covenant name. Um, and you'll hear it pronounced lots of ways. You'll hear people say Jehovah, and you'll hear people say Yahweh. Um, I pick your one. Uh, neither one of them is correct and the other incorrect. The, the word Yahweh is probably gaining um, more acceptability out there. But anyway, it frequently comes with a suffix. And um, there are s- several 
beautiful examples in the book of Jeremiah where it's Yahweh and a suffix. Here are four. Um, um, Jeremiah 31.10, Yahweh Rohi, which means the Lord is my shepherd. 23rd Psalm. Um, Yah- uh, 23.23 is Yahweh Shema. The Lord is, my, is, the Lord is present. He's here right now listening today to the faithful. Am I being faithful to his word? (laughs) He's he's here right now determining whether you're being an attentive and faithful, not to the messenger, but to the message. Okay, Um, Jeremiah 3.22, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord is our healer. He heals us. 23.6, Yahweh Tzidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. I don't have to put mine own up there. It's the Lord's righteousness. There's some more. Outside the book of Jeremiah, Genesis 22.8, um, Yahweh Jireh, the Lord is our provider. He sees from heaven and provides. Exodus 17.15, Yahweh Nisi, he's our banner. Yahweh, or see, Leviticus 20, verse 8, Yahweh Kadesh, the Lord's our sanctifier. Here's a good one, Judges 6.24. Of all the places to look for it, Judges, the book of Judges, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is our peace. And notice the intensity of this prayer. Call to me. You know, it could have been, hey, let's, let's sit down and do coffee. <laughs> you know, he's saying, he could he's, have said, quote that to me or say that to me. But it's not that. It's like there's something about the intensity that happens when you get by yourself and you go for it. Here's examples. Isaiah 40, verse 9. Lift up your voice with strength. Lift up, fear not. Psalm 116, here's a good one. I love the Lord because he's heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. (laughs) Stop yelling, Terry. Sorry, I'm trying to calm down. Um, Romans 8, this one is so tender. It it says, we haven't received the, the spirit of adoption. We've received the spirit of adoption by sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Here's a challenge for every person listening Right now, at least one time in the next week, pick your time frame. Get loud in your prayer. (laughs) Get off by yourself. Um, Let the things that are filling up your heart bubble up and overflow. And, you know, the things that you feel most deeply about and, and, and don't worry about and don't be concerned about people hearing you. Get someplace, you know, go shout at the moon or whatever it is and, and respond to this, this, the Lord God is this incredible invitation that he's giving a call to me. And go get after it. He's not going to disappoint you. I promise you, you'll have a breakthrough. (laughs) You will. Now, of course, our great fear is that we'll do that and nothing will happen. So then we get these four powerful words in your Bible. They come right after, call me and I will answer you. (laughs) I will answer you. You can circle those words. I know you've already underlined that passage. I will answer you. Circle that part. It's so clear. What a promise. It's a promise. You know, call to me and I will answer you. Well, what if he doesn't? (laughs) Here's a little bit of foundational theology for you. Titus chapter 1 verse 2 points out, he says, um, God cannot lie. Okay, I'm not going to go off on a tangent on, on, on what this passage is, is connected to. Um, but it says, it, it, it points out this theological truth. God cannot, it's not that he won't. It's not that he will not. It's that he 
cannot. And only God cannot lie. I mean, this is like asking a man to bear a child. Well, I don't think I will. <laughs> you laugh. You know, I don't think you will either, Terry. <laughs> it's not a matter of willpower. It's, it's, it's not a matter of choice. It's, it's, it's not a matter of trying or, or, or any of the, it, it's, it's not within the nature of a man to bear a child. I lack the plumbing. I can't do it. To lie is not within God. Now you might, you might, okay, so here we go. Are there some things that God cannot do? The answer is, yeah, he can't lie. <laughs> okay, and I know that this question could take us on this philosophical, mind-twisting, you know, circular black hole of philosophy. I'm just going to move on and say, um, when God says those four powerful words, it's a fact. I will answer you. When God says, call out to me, that's the same as, I will answer you. You can just put them together and say it's part of the deal. And we have spent not just one, but multiple messages over the years talking about you know, why sometimes it appears that we're not uh, having our prayers answered. There's sin that blocks listening and the hearing and things like that. But if we, if we come to God biblically, um, in faith, God will answer. How does God answer? Well, for some of you, this will be a review because we've talked about this before too, and some, for some, this is new um, needed truth. There's three ways that he answers. He'll answer with yes, wait, or no. <laughs> you know, when I was younger in the Lord, I, I really believed that God answered mostly no, occasionally wait, and on special circumstances, like maybe your birthday or Christmas, uh, yes, maybe. That's what I used to think a long time ago, but in fact, it's the exact opposite that's true. I mean, I think God answers almost always yes once he's changed the prayer. <laughs> you, know, um, you know, once he changes the prayer, and we, we don't ask for dumb stuff anymore. I mean... <laughs> Not that your prayers are dumb stuff. Mine were, okay? So, um, but once we stop asking for the dumb stuff, the stuff that's not his will, you know, if you ask anything in my will, I'll hear you and answer you. Um, and all of those verses, um, other ones mentioning asking in, in his name, asking in his name is, is asking consistent with his will. Asking in the name of Jesus is not an incantation. Oh, well, I want son for my wedding, so it's three months from now, but I asked for it in Jesus' name, so he has to give me a sunny day. Good luck with that. Um, buy your ring from Jared where they'll give you a guarantee if it rains on your wedding day or something. Whatever. Okay, I didn't mean to do that. Okay, I guess I did or I wouldn't have said it. it, it if, if it came out of my mouth, it must have been in my heart. Apologize for that joke. It was kind of funny. <laughs> it's a little bit funny. <laughs> Okay, that doesn't work with Lisa either. Okay, so, um, but w then we don't pray these selfish prayers. We, we don't pray good prayers for selfish reasons. And, and by the time that God has refined the prayer and therefore the prayer, the answer is almost always yes. But until he gets to yes, sometimes it'll come out like this, you know, Terry, I love your heart, but it's not what you think. Sometimes it's not now or not yet. 1 John 5, um, 14 to 15 reveals, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Wow. For example, okay, so like, um, <laughs> you know, the prayer before the big football game where the prayer, you know, player gets, you know, gets down on his knees and says, Lord, help us win the game today. I don't want to call it a dumb prayer because... <laughs> Because the problem is that what if there are believers full of faith on the other team praying the same thing? And if, you know, the thing is that if God does intervene and cause one team to win, it's not because he loves you more than he loves them. But here is a prayer that he will hear before the game. Lord, Lord, help me play with character today. Help me sacrifice for my team. Help me be loyal. Help me have a right attitude. Let me be charitable after I knock the guy on his rear end. <laughs> you know, but help me, Lord, not to give lip to my coaches and the referees. I get so emotional. Those are godly character prayers the Lord will hear and answer. Don't expect there to be a billboard in heaven with a prediction for next year's BCS championship. And uh, I know sometimes um, our friend... Eric Williams watches these messages and he's going to be really disappointed to find out that there's not going to be a great big um, great big A from Alabama um, on God's hat. Okay, whatever that means. <laughs> there's not going to be a billboard with those kinds of things because the Lord doesn't have favorites on, in sports. But there is going to be a book there with a list of names. And those are the names of his kids. And the way your name is written there they get written there by his son, Jesus Christ, by his son. And if you want your name on that list, you call out to him, Jesus, save me. And scripture promises that those who call on the name of Christ will be saved. It's that simple. It's not because you're good and you do things. It's because you recognize your need for salvation and you call on him. Because he cares about his kids and he hears them. Desperate times call for desperate prayers. And I'm all for the, 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 you know, the get on your knees alone and face in the carpet prayers. I, I, I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm teaching that, and, but, but listen, a lot more frequently, at least in the Fisher household, um, it's different. And my pastor, Pastor Bert Smith, taught it like this, sharp, short, frequent, and focused. Prayers, sharp, short, frequent, and focused. You know, Lisa and I will be um, do, going about our day, doing our thing, and walking along, and deep in some conversation, in the middle of a sentence, one of us will, it's not rude, we'll just drop out of that sentence in the middle of it, and, and it'll be like, Lord, would you intervene here? Would you please show up in their hospital room, or this kitchen, or that office, and show yourself strong? And um, you know, that's the kind of prayer for us that's extremely common. It's way less common for us to be on our knees alone shouting before the Lord. And that kind of prayer becomes a constant, ongoing, you know, it's, it's, it's this ongoing conversation with the Lord. And we see it kind of like a life partnership with God. It's kind of like, you know, here I was in my study, and the Lord said, nice message, Terry, but I heard his voice, and I knew it. He was saying, okay, set that aside. That's another time. And I didn't have to have an argument with God. I just knew that what I was doing was not a waste of his time or mine, but it wasn't for this weekend. 
And, you know, here, here's, here's what continual prayer looks like. It's found in lots of, the concept is all over Scripture. First Thessalonians 5, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is what the Lord wants. Jeremiah 29, the book we're in, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Ephesians 6, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplications. To that end, keep alert and with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The prayer is a constant conversation with a lot of us listening along the way as you walk through life. And I want to wrap up with with, um, God's, what his answer looks like. Back to our primary verse. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you, tell you, tell you, tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. This word tell you is translated differently in different translations. The ESV says tell you, um, New American Standard tell you, NIV tell you. The New King James Version says show you. New English translation show you. The Hebrew term actually means to conspicuously put something up in front of you um, and to tell you. This, God's answers will be both showing and telling. God is showing and telling. When we call him, his answer is both showing us and telling us. And sometimes we perceive one but not the other. You know, We sense that the answer is yes, but we're not sure until all of a sudden we see a door open or close. You know? And it, it's, it's, it's the more that you walk and talk with the king, the easier it is to see it and hear it. It just is. It's the more you walk, walk with the Lord, the more your prayers will align with his will. Jesus said it like this, My sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me. God says in 2 Chronicles, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. God wishes he was seeing more of us calling out to him in prayer. You know, show yourself strong, God. Do something awesome here, God. Turn us around, God. And, and, and that's the only hope for America. That's the only hope for Washington. That's the only hope for Lewis and Thurston counties. How badly we need God to show himself strong. And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. God knows a lot that you and I don't know. And he's working and changing things and he's building hope for people. And, and, and if we perceived it, we'd be more faith-filled and trusting and partnering with him. And through God's promise, we see some of it. What a promise. Parents, you know, he'll give you insight that you presently lack about your children. Employees, he'll give you insights that you need about how you should conduct yourself and how you should plan for your future. And don't expect that he's going to tell you other people's secrets. He's going to tell you his and yours. Now, um, I want to pause. We're just about done. We're just going to pray. But I want to pause for something important. Um, We believe in the supernatural here. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, uh, one of those gifts is called um, the gift of prophecy. Now, don't confuse that with Old Testament prophets who would tell things that were happening in the future. Scriptures tell us that the gift of prophecy is something the Lord does specifically to encourage and to build up and to edify the body. And um, there are times when the Lord speaks to someone something that's prophetic, and that happened this morning during worship. And uh, this person came to me, and it's someone I trust who hears and is sensitive to the king. And when she shared with me what the Lord was speaking, I said, you know, there's a specific place that that's supposed to go into the message. 
And uh, I knew then that we would be talking about this now. So what I would ask you, whether you're in this room or you're at home right now, the Lord knows those things, that you would just for a moment close your eyes and listen to what the voice of the Lord would say to his children this day. The Lord is saying, come with me to me for the big things. You've come to me for the little things. But as a father gives his child a fish when he asks for it, he wouldn't give him a stone. He would give him a fish. I'm here for you. So there is this tender voice of the king saying, ask me. It's, there's no request that you have that's either too big or too small, but you need to understand the character of God, that he loves his children so much that when you ask for something, he's not going to hand you a snake. He's not going to hand you poison. He's going to hand you hope, and he's going to hand you an answer. He's going to hand you a solution. And, you know, we're taught in First Thessalonians into everything to give thanks. I'm thankful that the Lord would, would come with this right now because I know that for hearts who are available, the Lord has spoken just now and encouraged something just now, and that's what you needed to hear. Call to me and I'll answer you and tell you great and heavy things that you have not known. Let's pray. Lord, today, um, there is some scary stuff in this message, and there's some scary stuff outside today. And if we put our focus on the scary stuff, we lose our faith. So we have to make this intentional choice. We do it right now, God, to put our focus upon the eyes of the king. We seek after the eyes of the king. And we recognize, Lord, that you and you alone you alone, Lord, are worthy of our adoration and our praise. We've talked about false religions. We've talked about immorality. We've talked about all those things. And this message isn't about us fighting down temptations. This message is about us spending time with our king. That's what this message is about, calling out to the king. So, Lord, forgive us for the times that we've called out, but it's been called to somewhere else. And instead, Lord, we will now refocus and get back upon the foundation of prayer, the foundation of knowing that our God will talk with us. We don't talk to you. We talk with you, Lord. And maybe if I'm a new believer, I don't hear quite as clearly as I will someday. Help me with that, Lord. Help us to grow in our ability to hear the voice of the King. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Help us to, Lord, be your sheep and to know your voice. God, also, with a list of things that we would pray about, we choose to believe that you will not lie, that you will answer those prayers, and that, God, your highest and your best is what you have for us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.